production. to another episode of the No Good People podcast. I'm your host, Vera Smith-Winfrey, and once again, I'm celebrating good people through good conversation. Today's guest is writer and multidisciplinary artist, Anne Carmack. Through her work, Anne seeks to explore the shape-shifting themes of personal narrative, individual and cultural identity, philosophy, and spirituality by wholly embracing a wide range of media, including painting, photography, filmmaking, storytelling, screenwriting, poetry, and performing. She's the author of My Own Body Breathing, a collection of poems and prose about friendship, loss, transformation, and healing. She's also the first runner-up in the 2023 Screencraft Short Film Screenplay Competition and a finalist for the Page International Screenwriting Awards for her work, Flower Girl, a short about a young girl getting ready for a wedding. Now, I could tell you much, much more about Anne, but I'd rather she share her own story in her own words. So welcome, Anne, and thank you for being part of the No Good People podcast family. I'm glad you could join me today. Oh, thank you so much, Vera. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. I was like, oh, who's she talking about? She sounds <laughs> she sounds cool. Thank you. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here. Oh, I'm really glad too. And I want to give a quick shout out to uh, Christine Mason Miller for introducing for introducing us today and allowing me to meet new people and bring them to the forefront. So hi, Christine, and thank you so much. Hi, Christine. Very grateful. So I always start with this question and tell us where you were from, what was your childhood like, and what are some of your favorite memories growing up? Oh, I love I love that favorite memories question. Um, so I'm from the Midwest. I grew up in St. Louis. I was adopted by a wonderful family. When I was a one, I grew up in a little a little neighborhood in St. Louis called University City. So it was built around Washington University. It was a really progressive, awesome community, multicultural, just a wonderful, wonderful place to grow up. You know, I had a very Midwestern childhood. We played in the neighborhood from sunup to sundown. I mean, we we had a lot of freedom. We roamed the streets and you know, uh, it was it was a it was a great childhood. Went to Catholic school, my for uh, grade school and high school. Really, also two wonderful environments for me. Specifically, very progressive nuns. You know, I was I was raised by a lot of taught by a lot of really strong, empowered women that definitely influenced me. I think everybody, you know, probably has this, you know, nuns have a, nuns have a reputation <laughs> for not, not being that cool, but these were nuns from New Orleans who wore Birkenstocks and played the guitar, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and so they were just, they were just all really cool. And yeah, my childhood was really great. When I was in kindergarten, my mom got very sick. It was a, a, debilitating, mysterious illness, as so many illnesses are, that took her down pretty quickly. So we we went from being, you know, best friends and, and little activity 
partners to, to, you know, suddenly over seemingly overnight, obviously it wasn't like that for her, but for me, she was very sick, very fast. And what that looked like is, you know, she was essentially, um, bed bound and homebound. I mean, she crawled into bed one day and she didn't get out for 30 years. Uh, And so a few years after that, my aunt, uh, my aunt Bo, who was my favorite auntie, she moved into the house next door. They moved from Nashville. She moved her family. And then she also got sick with the same mysterious disease. And then a few years after that, it came and, 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 took my cousin down and my cousin was like my brother. I mean, like I said, we grew up on the same block and we were the same age and he also got sick. So pretty early on, Mm -hmm. uh, I was, you know, really surrounded by an immense amount of pain and suffering. And we had a small family. It was just, you know, it was just the six of us. And three of those people were, had this genetic undiagnosed, clearly genetic disorder that, you know, just destroyed their lives for lack of a less dramatic word. So while it is very, a very sad story on the surface, one thing that happened is that my mom and my aunt Bo were both really prolific artists and painters and creatives. My mom was a singer. I mean, just these really creative women. So I was influenced really early by that, looking up to mm-hmm. both of them and, and really seeing the power that came from painting. Um, mm-hmm. And then when my mom was so sick, I mean, she was, you know, she, we had a hospital bed that was delivered to the house and that's where she lived. Somehow from that bed, uh, she had the wherewithal to see the artist in me. And, you know, it took me a long time to understand adulthood and parenting and pain. And, and I'm not a parent, but the older I get and the more I see my friends parenting things, I look back and I'm like, oh my God. I mean, this was a woman who couldn't move and Mm -hmm. was directing, you know, our family in this way that made sure I had everything that I needed to make things and Mm -hmm. create. And so I was the first kid on the block with a video camera. I was the first kid on the block with a typewriter. Like I remember getting my first electric, you know, word processor, you know, so I was always encouraged to write and draw and paint. And, and, you know, my dad was an engineer. My dad was at work. He worked long hours, you know, in the beginning, he was still traveling before he had to stop that, you know, to, to really be my Mm -hmm. mom's primary caregiver. But you know, it was me and my mom alone in the house. I have, I have an older sister, but she was older. She was having a high school experience, you know, so she was running around and doing things and it was me and my mom. And so I spent a lot of time alone making things with her encouragement. You know, I got a library card really early, go to the library, join the book club, read books, write stories, paint. And it was just, it's always been who I've been. Um, you know, we watched old movies. I would sit by her bedside and she would show me all the classics. I mean, she, she knew who I was. She saw me and she just pushed me in, 
in the direction that I was destined to go. And I think I would have found my own way, but I had a little nudge early on. Mm -hmm, So those are mm -hmm. some of my best memories, just being seen, you know, just being seen by somebody so early was a very influential part of my creative history. And I love the fact that you chose to, I guess, even close that thought with you were seen because, you know, there's so many of us and particularly women it's hard to be seen because we're trying to navigate um, being things for other people all the time. Like in our, you know, most of our lives, we are being something for somebody else. So I think that it's pretty dynamic that your mom saw that in you so early and gave you the freedom and I guess the motivation to be a creative. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really a gift and, and, you know, that is a gift. Yeah. It was a gift. And, and like I said, it, it wasn't until you know, later in life that I was really able to acknowledge that and thank that because like all mothers and daughters, we had our problems, you know, Mm -hmm. I was, I was was not a good kid. I mean, I, I I was a bad kid. I was wild, you know, I mean, I I say bad, you know, tongue in cheek, but you know what I mean? I wasn't, I wasn't a good student. I caused a lot of trouble. I, I definitely made life a lot more difficult than it needed to be. But the, but the truth is I was scared and mm-hmm. I was, you know, like I said, I, I was watching, you know, these people who were my heroes, you know, suffer. And I didn't, I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know where to go with that. So, you know, I, I writing poetry, doing all of these things as this little kid really gave me a place to, you know, gave me a way to sort of put words to my worries. Mm -hmm. Like I had a place to go with what I was feeling because honestly, I couldn't really go to my parents. They were Mm -hmm. up to their, they were up to their eyeballs in just trying to survive and make it. So you know, yeah, yeah. I, it, it was, it was really great to be seen. And I always have this, there's this funny story about, uh, I don't, I don't remember how old I was, but I remember my parents finding it was the, it was science fair season. And there was a little piece of fine print on the science fair application that said like, if you don't want to do this, you can also write a short story you know, and it was something I probably would have overlooked, but they were like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is you, you know, you're not going (laughs) to create electricity from a potato. Like you're not that kid. So let's write a short story. And, you know, they were always encouraging me to like do the coloring contest at the local grocery store, you know, these basic things, but they felt like a really big deal for me as a little kid. And I got to, I got to be seen by my community, I would win a ribbon at the local grocery store for how well I colored. And it, you know, early I was like, oh, oh, I like, I like this. I like how this feels. People see what I do, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it matters. I mean, it's color. It's, it wasn't, it didn't matter. It was a coloring contest, but it felt like it mattered, you know? Well, it did matter though, because, mm-hmm. you know, and I think you can't downplay that stuff because it was important to you um, then. Also, it, gave you that kind of foundation to continue to do more and more and create more in very different ways. Yeah. So, you know, if it's important to you, it's important clearly to everybody else, mm-hmm. you know, but it's important to the world also because look what you've given us thus, thus far. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty amazing to me. I love that. Do you feel like 
you know, being a creative, do you feel like you talked about that fact that it gave you a place to go, it gave you a place to escape, maybe, and that's my own words. But do you feel like you were able to continue to do those things as you were as you were getting older, or did you feel like you had to t- you took a break from it for a little while, or were you always doing that? Um, no, I've never taken a break. I've, I mean, this is just this is just how my machine works. You know, I, I, again, I don't know. I don't know how to be any, anything else. Um, I did, you know, I barely graduated from high school and, uh, (laughs) I, I was, I went off to KU, the university of Kansas. And, and for a year there, um, you know, when I look back on it, what I realized is I was in the wrong place and, you know, I was surrounded by, you know, this group of peers who all seem to have, and I, and I'm so, I don't understand how anybody has this at that age, but everybody sort of had these like academic aspirations and like these big professional plans. Like they were all there for a reason. And I wasn't like, I was like, I don't even have, like, I don't have any idea what I'm doing here in this university setting. And, um, <laughs> I think like most kids who arrive at college with no idea what they're doing, you know, I didn't mm-hmm. survive it. Like I just, I flunked out of that pretty quickly and it was the best thing that could happen. You know, over the years I've had, I've had, I've struggled with a lot of shame about that because I am such a student and I love learning and I, I love books and I love reading. And I, and I look back and I think, oh man, you know, was I a quitter? Like it, it seems odd to me that I I wasn't able to pull that off and that I flunked out so dramatically. But what I what I realized is that it was the best thing that happened because I, I left Lawrence, Kansas. I went back to St. Louis and I jumped into a creative life with creative people. There was a really, really powerful hip hop scene in St. Louis mm-hmm. at that time. And, you know, I just found my people. I got jobs at coffee shops. I did all the things that you do, you know, and, and it was a better fit for me than this sort of academic life. So I, yeah, I just, I fell in with a, with a group of really creative people. And so aside from that one year at school where I was living in a dorm and sort of going out and drinking too much, like I, this is just, I picked it right up where I left off. And I got, I got right back into poetry and got right back into writing and, and filming and taking, you know, community college darkroom classes and things like that. So, yeah. And so how did you get into, um, you know, the painting or not so much painting, but photography, filmmaking, storytelling, screenwriting? How'd you get there? You know, I think I was always there. It's like I said, like I had, you know, my parents gave me a video camera. I was, I was that it, now it's so common. Everybody's got a camera, mm-hmm. on their phone, everybody, but back, back in the day, you know, I was the kid running around parties with the video camera. I just loved looking at people through a lens. I loved capturing little moments. And so I would put together these, you know, terribly edited, <laughs> like horrible <laughs> little things, but I just, I I just was so intrigued by my friends and what they were up to and what everybody was doing. And I loved documenting that. And I loved taking pictures of what people were up to. I just, and that, so it was less visual for me and more 
coming from a storytelling standpoint, if that makes any sense. No, no, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I'm not a cinematographer. You know, I was just like, this is people, these are people doing things and I want to remember it and capture mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. um, like for filmmaking, uh, for screenwriting, like I said, you know, I was, I was one of the best ways for me to connect with my mom was just to sit in her room, you know, by her bedside and watch these old, you know, Sunset Boulevard, watch these Rock Hudson movies and these, you know, she loved these mm-hmm. classic films. And so I was just really influenced by those Alfred Hitchcock. I loved movies. And, you know, I remember going and seeing E.T. in the theater when I was, you know, when E.T. came out and just yeah. watching it and like, like I, I had never related to a character more than I related to E.T. Like I was like, really? Well, look at this little brown creature, right? Mm-hmm, that is, mm-hmm. you know, has been taken away and is living with this white, <laughs> white family <laughs> and watching TV and eating Reese's Pieces. I was like, that <laughs> you know, okay, and so, like I, but I, 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 I was little, but I had that, that like reckoning where I was like, someone made this. Someone wrote this and it's, and I can feel it. And this is important. And whatever that is, I want to do that. You know, I I want to do that. And, and it took me a long time to get there because again, growing up in St. Louis, you're not like, not often told like, Hey, you can be a screenwriter. I mean, that's not a thing. That seems like something that only fancy people in LA can do. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, I think that was part of my slow crawl to L.A. Like I knew I, I always knew I wanted to be here, but it's a big leap from the Midwest um, with no money and no degree and no plan. Like, how do I get from here to there? So mm-hmm. I, I sort of hopped. I went to Colorado and then I went to Arizona. And then when I was living in Arizona with a with an ex-partner who is still a dear friend, one of his girlfriends worked for like a VP of something or other at Paramount. And we came out here to visit and we had access to the Paramount lot. It was the first time I had ever seen movie magic. You know what I mean? I, I knew that I, I, I knew this is, I love this. We were walking around, we were on set. I remember seeing there was a show that used to be on called Boston Public and they were filming an episode of it. And it was a winter's day, but here we were in San- in LA in the middle of summer, you know, but they were all, and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is where people come to make movies. This is where it happens. You know, by the grace of God, Brian, that, that was my partner at the time. He said, let's go, let's go. And we packed up and we, we left Tempe, Arizona, where I was working as a nanny and he was working as a, you know, a assistant manager of a restaurant. And we just, we threw caution to the wind and we finally ended up here. You know, I just, it's, I'm all self-taught. So I just started reading a lot of books, taught myself how to do this and studying movies and reading scripts. And I wrote my first full-length feature in 2011. And I knew, you know, for people who aren't aware of this, there's all of these competitions, uh, festival opportunities. And that was the way that I that has been my resource. I mean, I don't, I didn't have a big network of people, mm-hmm. connections. 
so I have done the competition thing. That has been my road. And um, I entered my first script into a competition that it's zoetrope. It's up north and it's Francis Ford Coppola. And Mm -hmm. I remember waiting up until midnight for the results to be released. And at midnight on the dot, they, I don't know if they still do it quite like this, but at midnight on the dot, they put that list on their website and I saw my name on that list and I had made it through the first round and I wept. I mean, I just, it felt like I won an Oscar, you know, and I got really just hooked on that. And it's that same feeling I felt in the coloring contest. And it's the same feeling I felt, you know, submitting short stories to the science fair when everybody else was doing something different. I was like, this, this feels right for me. And so that was in 2011. And since then I've written, you know, 11 or 12 scripts. And I just simply stick to this competition path. And I've had great luck. I've got, I've knock on wood, every script I've written, I've written has made it you know, has been a finalist in these competitions and there's a lot of people submitting. So it's a really, it's I been, can imagine. yeah, it's been a wonderful like education because you get feedback and it's mm-hmm. really where I've taught myself how to write, how I've taught myself how to write. And do you feel like, you know, you talked about that, that intense feeling when you saw your name for the first time, does that feeling continue every time you become a finalist or has that kind of, Oh, no, every time. Every, okay, that's great. Every, it never changes. I'm waiting to hear. Um, there's a, a competition called the Page Awards, and tomorrow they announce their first rounders. And I have a, I have a story in there, and I can't wait. Like I, I woke up this morning, and I'm like, oh my gosh, tomorrow's Saturday. It never, ever gets old. Um, it always feels just as exciting. I always, I can't wait to share it on social media. I can't wait to call my parents. I can't wait to share it with my friends, you know, and I've been doing this for years and I've had 25 placements. So like these people are picking up the phone and I'm like, you guys are never going to guess what happened. (laughs) And they're like, Oh, cool. You know, like again, but no, it never gets old. It always feels wonderful. Yeah. That must be really invigorating. And, and also what confirmation for you because you know that it never gets old, that I'm really doing the right thing. Like, this is what I am meant to be. This is who I am meant to be. This is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does feel like that. And it's a long road. I mean, I I definitely have had, you know, concerned partners and parents and people in my life who are like, this is, it's almost like trying to win the lottery professionally, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, this is one way to do it, I guess. And there's a lot of rejection, you know, there's, I make it to the top 10. It's like, I am, I'm like the perpetual silver medalist, you know, I make it, I make it right to that top, you know, I don't, I don't nab the prize. So that's been painful, but I, I really do just look at it. Like, this is sort of how I've gotten my black belt in writing. I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be the writer that I am today if I, if I hadn't done it exactly like this. So I'm really, I'm grateful for all of these competitions. I'm grateful for all of these opportunities, but you know, I'm ready for what's next. I think this is, this is the first year where I've really started to say, okay, you know, 
you've done this now for many, many, many years. What's, what's mm-hmm. next? What's and so, next? you know, I was going to go in a different direction about screenwriting, but, you know, maybe you'd like to talk about what is next or what do you envision yourself as next? But I am so very interested in knowing, like, take me through the screenwriting process. How do you come up with ideas? How long does it take you to, to you know, to write something or to come up with an idea and know that this is the direction I want to go in for this idea? Yeah, ideas, ideas come easy to me because I'm, I, I am always paying attention. I'm always looking around. I'm always dropping. Mm. I'm always listening. You know, I, I worked at, you know, before COVID, I worked for 17 years at a, a little boutique hotel here in Santa Monica. And I would talk to people over the years and say, I don't know, I'm working at this hotel. I've been here forever and it doesn't feel like I'm doing the right thing. And and many people, many writers and, and people who I really admired were like, I think it's just the place for you to be because you get to meet people and listen to people and see people from all over the world. And I pay close attention. Mm-hmm. So I get an idea and I, you know, I make a note in my phone or I scribble it down in my notebook and I I know now what what will work for me. I know what won't. And then I just spend, I spend as long as it takes kind of, I don't really have like a, it's not a beautiful process. It's just a messy list. I start a document, <laughs> you know, and I just run with that document. I just am typing in on that doc. Oh, this thought came to me. This character came to me, this line, this would be a funny line or what if this happened? And it's kind of just a mess. And then once I have that, I can't even, I won't even call it an outline because if I shared it with another person, they would be like, this is the, this is the ramblings of a mad man, you know? Um, <laughs> but once I have that down, I can write pretty quickly uh, because I've spent so much time in the, in the, in the world that I'm creating. And once I have that down, I can just sort of sit down and, you know, I type fade in and I just go for it. And that process is not that that first draft process is not does not take me a long time. And then I okay. and then I have to rework it over, you know, a year or however long. But I sort of set a goal. I was spending a little bit too long on each story. And so I sort of set a goal for myself a couple of years ago where I where I said, you know, I want to have a new story to submit to these competitions and these festivals every year. And so I'm sticking with that goal, even if it's just a short, I, I, I always give myself, I always want to have one new thing written, you know, so that's my process. Um, and have you ever, have you ever considered or have, you know, what happens next? So after it becomes a short, after you make your finalist list, like, have you had anybody approach you about like, I would love to do yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did in 2021. I worked with a really talented group of people here and we produced one of my short scripts. I, after I lost my job at the hotel, I started, I am a cook at this local cafe here. And again, I go, you know, going back to where do you go to be around people? You go to a coffee shop, you go to a cafe. And I met a really talented, awesome gentleman at the coffee shop named Steve Curley. He read the script. He was like, he's an aspiring director. So he said, let's do it. I had, I was ready to hand it over 
to someone and, and I wanted to see something on the screen. And it was just sort of perfect timing. And then I sat down with another friend, a wonderful girlfriend of mine. And I was just, we were having coffee and I, and I shared with her, I just pulled up a document on my phone and I said, I said, look at this. He just sent me a production budget. Like this is a legitimate thing. This isn't just me alone in a room writing anymore. Like he's, he, this is a breakdown. This is what a movie looks like, you know? Right, and right. I and I was just sharing it with her because she's a friend, and she said, "You know how much do you how much do you need to make that?" And I said, "Well, according to this, you know, it looks like we need about fifteen thousand dollars." And she said, "When can you come over and pick up a check?" And Whoa. and it was, but the, but these are the kinds of people that I have in my life. I mm-hmm. I I just it's magical, you know. And so two days later, she cut me a check. And I handed it off to Steve and I handed it off to my my dear friend, um, Adi, who produced the film. And the next thing I know, you know, we made a we made a film and it was a really, really beautiful process for me because I got to see. Um, I've been so focused on um, writing and not directing. I, I directed a short a couple of years ago, but it was just friends. It took one day. It, you know, I didn't take it very seriously. But this was a really great opportunity for me to see this is what a director does. This is what this mm-hmm. would look like. This is what an assistant director does. Got it. This got is what it. a producer does, you know. So yeah, we we made that and we wrapped that and he directed it and he edited it. And it was in a, a great festival here called the LA Shorts Festival. He just submitted it to a few festivals and it was the first time I got to go to a theater and buy a ticket and walk in and sit in one of those red seats and see my name on the screen and watch my film. I love it. Yeah, it was a really, really powerful, really beautiful, beautiful moment for me. And what was the name of that film? Uh, Hookie. Okay. And, and Hooky was, Hooky was another one of the, it was a short and it was one of the scripts that just really did great. It was just right at the top of every competition that I sent it to. So it was, it was fun. It was fun to see it come to life. And do you, like looking at all of your work, do you have a favorite? Would you say that was your favorite or was there something else that you've written that you would consider a favorite piece and why? You know, I guess it, I guess maybe it's how you feel about your kids. Like I like them all for different reasons, <laughs> you know. And yep. I think that the one that I'm working on, like when I'm working on it, I'm like, this is my favorite. And then you know, and then the next year, the next, you know, the next one is my favorite. Uh, in 2020, um, I self-published my own body breathing, which was a mm-hmm. which was my poetry collection, and that that was another beautiful story. Um, which was, I don't know if you are familiar with the work of Pixie Lighthorse. No. Uh, but she's a, another friend of me and Christine's and she's an author and an artist. And and I was writing these poems and just, you know, posting them on social media, sharing them to my Instagram, which is really, Instagram has has been for me, one of the most, if not the most powerful tool in my box. I mean, it's, it's given me a stage. It's given me a shop. It's really put the power in my hands. So I know, Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people struggle with their relationship with social media. And 
I know everybody is sort of on the fence about it, but for me, it's been nothing but a gift because before Instagram and before Facebook, I didn't have a way to, you know, I wasn't being published. My work was not being accepted. I wasn't, I had nowhere to go to share. Um, I wasn't getting gallery representation. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, here's this little thing in your phone and use it and make money and share your work and spread the word. Um, so I was posting all these poems on Instagram. And I remember I was at the hotel. I was working the night shift. I was exhausted. And Pixie called me and she said, buddy, it's time to put these in a book. And I, you know, I was standing in the alley and I said, I don't, I can't even sort of wrap my head around what that looks like. All I know how to do is write a poem and post it. And, you know, um, and she said, I'll do it. We'll do it. Me and my team will do it. All you have to do is send me the work. And so I sent her the poems and, you know, in June, I think June of 2020, we released the book. And for that is one of my favorite things. When I look, when I pick up a copy of that and I get to mm-hmm. hold it in my hands, um, I feel something very special, you know? Um, and it was scary. It was, a, it seemed like a weird time to be like, here's my self-published poetry collection in June, 2020. I know everybody is out of work and sick and suffering and scared. Um, and it felt a little bit frivolous. But, you know, it ended up being just the right time, just the right time. And it felt it felt nice to have something to offer my community Mm -hmm. during such a sad and scary time, you know. Right, right. And you talk about that, you know, that it's about friendship and loss and transformation and healing. Um, Are there other poems in there about your mom and your aunt as well, too? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and your cousin for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everything I do is pretty much about all of the, everything. There's a little bit of me, you know, I'm, I, there's a little bit of me and everything and a little bit of my story and everything. Um, this with my own body breathing, it was really a, I wanted to do something and in 2013, I lost my best friend of childhood, best friend, Sarah, um, to some heart complications. And after she passed, I had a show. I just, I couldn't figure out. I knew that I needed to honor her as part of my grieving process. I knew I needed to honor her with some sort of work. Um, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't, I tried to write a screen, you know, I tried to write our story and that just felt a little heavy handed and forced. And then I was remembering, she used to always say to me, she was the coolest, like, so stylish and hip and pretty. And she used to, I would come over to her house when we were kids and I'd have like 50 necklaces on and a ring on every finger. And, <laughs> you know, and she would always be like, Ann, less is more, less is always more. Like, <laughs> let's take some of that up. So I was like, ah, oh, that's how I can, be-. you know, less is more. So I, I really wanted a place to sort of put down my thoughts about that. Um, but yeah, my family, my family, infuses all my work they're always they're always in there too so i'd love to talk about your mixed media because on your website uh, i've seen a couple of things um that either i would like to own 
<laughs> just that, that was my little plug there. <laughs> we will work that out. <laughs> but, you know, tell me about that. You know, tell me about some of the mixed media that you've done and um, have you won awards for that too? No, I, the mixed media work I do, I do, I do abstract works on, I love working on wood. I love working on paper. I always incorporate text. I think for me, when it started, and again, this started years and years ago, I I think I was just looking for another place to put word, you know? And I, so I started painting because it gave me another place to write things that I wanted to write. And, and over the years, you know, I've gotten varied feedback about that. A lot of people don't love text on work. They wish, you know, they wish that the, that the imagery would just stand on its own, but I love, I love words. I love having a place to put words. So that is, I've been at that for many, many years. And I've uh, produced some of my own shows at at you know local co-op spaces and collaborative spaces and creative spaces that friends own. I I haven't really gone the traditional route. I just kind of hang my paintings wherever anybody will have them. Okay. Um, and again, social media that or Instagram is really the place where I've had the most um, luck with sharing. And and it you know it's so it's amazing to me if I you know post a piece of art and then a friend in another city or another part of the world shares that to their stories, very often I get a sale, you know? So it's just, it's such a beautiful thing that, you know, I remind my creative friends about, like, we have to share, we have to elevate, we have to spread the word. Yes. It, works. Yes. it works, you know, we, this is how we get our work out there. And this is, this is a real, really powerful tool to use. And so I have a really good community where, you know, I post something, they share it. They post something, I share it. This is my friend, Jess. She's a jeweler. This is my friend, Nicole. She's a documentary filmmaker. This is, you know, I, I'm always pushing that on the people who have their eyes on me because there's so many, it's like you and I were discussing earlier. There's so many people out there making really important, good work. And right. You've got to get it in the right hands. You've got to get it in front of the right eyes. Mm-hmm. And so do you often, do you find yourself doing paintings, you know, something every month? Do you just do it when you get the feeling? Um, you know, how do you start that process too? Yeah, I I I paint pretty regularly. I mean, I, okay. I, I right now I'm, you know, I'm working full time, like I said, and I'm, I'm working as a cook, it's a long day and I'm on my feet and I'm a little bit off center right now with, I'm tired, you know, I'm not 22. So like, I'm tired when I get home <laughs> from a hot day behind the grill. Um, but I'm, I'm in the process right now of sort of re-examining my ritual and getting my schedule set up so that I can have more dedicated studio time. But for me, painting is, it's just such a big part of who I am. I mean, it's just a part of my practice. and if I don't do it, I don't, I I don't feel good. You know, if I'm not writing, I don't feel good. So that's when I know I I, I have this, I have this little feeling inside me. It's hard to articulate, but it's like, oh, I feel shitty. Oh, I know what I need to do. I need to get into my studio, which is I'm saying studio, but it's just my dining room, you know, but yeah, I need to get back on that. And do you, you talk about the fact that you're behind a hot stove all day long. Do you consider that um, an art form for you as well, too? 
No, I don't. I, I, (laughs) it's a total fluke. It's just a total fluke. I mean, we just, we, you know, the, the hospitality industry, like I said, I was working in a hotel and it was the first industry to shut down in 2020. And just in five minutes, you know, I lost my job and I was out of work for, you know, with, with the rest of the world that mm-hmm. was in service, uh, this, these service industries. And my, a friend of mine owns this little cafe right across the park from where I live. And he just, he gave a lot of us jobs and I'm not really, I'm not a coffee drinker. It's a coffee shop. I'm not a coffee drinker. It's not my area of expertise. So I was like, well, what if I just came in and cooked? Like I can flip an egg. I can make a salad. You know, I can throw together a sandwich. So there I am. That's what I'm doing right now. And it's, and it's wonderful because it's a neighborhood shop and mm-hmm. when I, and it's, it's sustained me. It's kept a roof over my head. It's kept all of my bills paid. I make an, a lovely amount of money. And, and when I share that with people, they're kind of like, oh, that's, that's more money than we expected that you would make. But the thing is, is it's my neighbors. It's my right. neighbors who are coming in and they know me and they know us and they care about us. And they're tipping $5 on a $3 drink because they care. And so as a storyteller and as a creative, right, I'm, I feel very supported there. And, and my, my owner, Human, there's a big, beautiful brick wall and he's invited me. I'm always hanging up my new work in there, hanging up my paintings in there. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. For my birthday last year, he bought, this is so sweet. He bought 20 copies of my own body breathing to put them in the shop. And I was like, this is so precious. Like you're going to have my poetry collection for sale. And he's like, yeah. And he said, and then when people buy them, you know, you can, you can take the money. And I was like, no, but you already bought, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. You already purchased these and I already profited. And he's like, oh, it's a double profit. So like we have this stack of, we did, they sold out, but it, it's really beautiful. It's a community community space. And so it's, it feels nice to feed the people, but I'm no chef. I'm not like, Ooh, <laughs> this is like magnificent. I'm just kind of like doing my job, you know? But I think you're doing more than, I mean, you know, you just said that like you're doing more than just making food. You said you're still feeding the people through your artwork, through your conversation, through storytelling. So you're continuously working in, and I find that really intriguing to me that you're constantly feeding people stuff Mm -hmm. about you and you're constantly giving people more of who you are just by creating yeah just by being present I like that and I love the fact that he you know they you know talk about a gift of giving the fact that he hired so many of you in his coffee shop he didn't have to do that and that's a gift in and of itself right yeah yeah what a testament to him but also what a testament to all of you because he saw something special in each and each and every one of you. Yeah, yeah. It has been it has been a real blessing because I didn't I I couldn't I couldn't wrap my head around where I wanted to go next. And mm-hmm. when the hospitality industry came back and hotels opened up again, I you know I did I did return to the hotel where I worked for so long and and that job. I mean, like I said, I was there for seventeen years and I had 
owners and management who knew that I was sitting at my desk during downtime writing screenplays Mm -hmm. and they looked the other way, you know, like that's probably frowned upon to sit at a desk and work on your own thing. But I was, I was, you know, I was really lucky in that way um, that I could use, you know, I could use my time there while on the clock to work on what I loved. And so when I lost that, I was really scared and I was really confused because I have to have a job and I, and I just didn't know where I would go next. But I also knew that that wasn't the industry that I wanted to be in anymore. I changed, you know, we all changed. We all changed over 2020 and 21. So many things, so many things shifted um, in me and I just travel wasn't you know, that just wasn't working for me anymore. So when the, when the job at Locale, which is the little cafe in Santa Monica, where I work, when that opened up, I jumped right in. Yeah. I love it. I love that story. Um, you know, and you've told, you shared a lot today, but something about that story just really resonated with me about how people came together, you know, when they were, when they felt they're the lowest and when they were most scared. Um, but your community came together in support of one another and encouraged one another. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and financially too, you know, Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. I think, Mm -hmm. I think we all like, you know, it's easy to talk. It's easy to say, Hey, attaboy, good job. Right. But you know, really people paying, I mean, it's just, it's a very beautiful thing to see people take care of each other in that way. Absolutely. But first you have to care. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and each of you showed or demonstrated caring for one another. You know, yeah. like I like to root for you know all things that are good, right? And you know, and I always love that Issa Rae comment, like you know, I'm rooting for everybody black. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the fact that your neighborhood you rooted for each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. It's wonderful, and that's something to take real seriously and to feel real proud of. Yeah. And I, I live in a very specific place. I mean, I live in uh, something called the Pico neighborhood and mm-hmm. it's a neighborhood in Santa Monica, but it's, it's easy to think you understand what Santa Monica is because from, you know, movies and it's, mm-hmm. it's okay. or songs or, yeah, <laughs> or songs or just history, <laughs> but the Pico neighborhood is special. It's, it's very diverse. It's a working class neighborhood. It's just an incredible, incredible community. And by the grace of God, when we were moving here from Arizona, we got on, you know, West Side Rentals or Craigslist or wherever. And this is where I ended up. And there is no other neighborhood in Los Angeles that I would want to be in. I mean, really? Oh, yeah. This is a very, very special place. And it's diverse. It's there's just so much great stuff going on here. And I think that's part of why the shop works in the way it does and the community cares in the way they do, because it's a, it's a good group of people, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, it's not a bunch of isolated people living in, you know, the Hollywood Hills behind big walls. I mean, we're all in this here, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what is next for Anne? More of the same, if I'm lucky, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I I am just going to keep writing and just keep keep doing what I do. I I'm working on a script right now. It's a sort of uh, a retelling of 
the Grimm's fairy tales through the eyes of all the girls. So Cinderella and Rapunzel and Sleeping Beauty, and they all come together. And it's it's been this sort of passion project that I've had that I've been working on for a couple of years. And um, I'll dip my toe in, I'll touch it. And then I, you know, I have this voice in my head. I've had this voice in my head over the years of sort of like, who are, who do you think you are trying to take on a story of this scope? Because historically I stick to sort of comedy drama in these small budget, like heartfelt, you know, character studies. This is a big, this has the potential to be a big film. This is a whole world I've created. This is the dark wood. This is fairy tale characters we all know and love. Um, and it's a big, big thing. And, and, and should, should something happen with the screenplay, it would be a, it would have to be a big budget film. And I've been scared to mm-hmm. touch that because you know we all have we're, we have our insecurities we have our yeah, absolutely and just about I would say six or seven months ago I was falling asleep I just I just had this really clear thought and it was like now is your time go go into this story do the sisters Graham be brave it it is out of your wheelhouse it is a big story it would cost a lot of money for someone to make it would take a lot of effects and all these things to do it anyway and and don't be afraid you know and and i think that that's i think that that's something that has come from the events of the last couple of years you know we've all faced a lot of things and a lot of fearful things i never thought i would lose my job uh and i did you know i never thought Mm -hmm. that you know any anytime something like that happens you're like i never thought i would be able to survive such a thing but i've survived it maybe i can write a big story about people doing the same kind of thing so i'm focused on that right now and my fingers are crossed like i said i've got these page announcements on saturday and i'll either make it on the list or i won't but i i'm very excited to see and we'll see oh i wish you all the very best on that i'm rooting for you and, you know, and I thank you for being honest about, you know, having some fears and then deciding, you know, I'm going to take a step out on faith and figure out how to make this work. You know, because I felt the same way about this podcast, you know, for a long time, I've had this idea. And then I kept thinking, well, who's going to listen to it? But then I thought, who cares? Right. Because for me, it was just one, the ability to give voice to an idea or give life and breathe life into something that I've had in my head for such a long time. And then two, it nurtured me, you know, it motivated me, it gave me something or gave me a sense of purpose um, to know that I accomplished something. I don't care if anybody else liked it or didn't like it or followed or didn't follow. It just made me feel good to do it. And I learned so much every single time I talked to somebody, every Mm -hmm. single time I learned something new. So, you know, it's great to follow things. It's it's good to step out, right? Out of your comfort zone. I think, you know, I'll leave you with this last thing. It was so wonderful. I I do have a lot of fear and I do have a lot of, you know, insecurity, being self-taught, you know, kind of going the in the direction I've gone in. And um, over, I think in late 2020, maybe early 2021, I had this amazing conversation with my friend Shevin. And Shevin is a 
tropical medicine doctor and he lives in Uganda and he's been on the front lines of Ebola and he does this incredible work. And his family, his sister has recently relocated here. So he comes into town and we get, we grew up together and we get to spend some time together. And we were sitting outside the cafe and we were talking and he was just cheering me on and telling me how excited he was for me to, to release the poetry book and to, to be making this short film. And I felt, I just felt overwhelmed with sort of in this embarrassment, like, you know, who again with the, who do I think I am? Like there's so much pain and there's so much suffering and, and people are hurting and people are homeless and people have lost their jobs and have no money, like, and people have Ebola. What am I doing, Shevin? Like, is this okay? And I remember asking him and it's like, I really needed someone and this is goofy, but it's just the way we are. Sometimes I, it's like, I needed somebody to give me permission to, mm. to move forward. And, and, and for whatever reason, Chev felt like the right person to ask because his work is so powerful and, you know, important. Um, and I, and I said, you know, this, is this okay? I mean, I, I think that's how I probably asked him and you know, he looked at me without missing a beat. He just, he just said, you know, and this is how you help people. Like these words, this is the medicine that you have to offer. And it just, it, it, it changed on a dime for me after that conversation. I really heard wow. him and he wow. said it in just the right way. And it came from just the right mouth. And I was like, okay, all right, this is what I have to offer. This is how I help people. And I don't have to feel embarrassed and I can give myself now permission to start really taking myself seriously and taking what I do seriously and, and stepping out on faith and stepping into that from a, you know, a less sort yeah, of, yeah. you know, I cowering in the corner, like, is this okay? Is it okay? You guys mm -hmm. is something that I love or like, does everybody think it's ridiculous? You know? But I just love that. This is how you help. This is your medicine. And, yeah. you know, it was a life, a life changing moment for me. That's beautiful. And thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So tell me or tell us, how can people find you? Um, you know, how can they reach out to you? How can they get your works? Yeah, perfect. Uh, my website is com. And that's a wonderful place to start that I, I post a lot of, you know, my work there and different ways to connect to me. I'm Ann Carmack on Instagram. My own body breathing, my poetry collection is for sale on Amazon. And so that's a wonderful place, you know, poetry is such an important part of my life. That's a wonderful place to sort of, you know, get introduced to that aspect of my creative process. Um, mm -hmm. but Instagram, I think is my most, the place where I'm the most active and the okay. most in conversation with other people. And I love to learn about other people and I love to learn what they're up to. So connect with me there. And if, um, you talked about if people wanted to purchase a piece of your artwork, the same thing goes. Yeah. Instagram is a great place to reach out. Just direct message me. If you see a painting that you love, you know, when I post it, I, I say, available for shipping hit me up you know like okay. I'm, a, I'm a hustler like it's not fancy I'm like yo this is for sale let me know and I just I love I work with everybody I want my work up on walls so 
You know, I throw a price out there. If you can't pay it, what can you pay? And can we do installment? I just, I just want people that love my work to have my work hanging on their walls. So I'm. Oh, that makes me so happy. (laughs) Yeah. So you and I, after this. Yeah, absolutely. No. Let's get into it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Well, family, that's it for this episode of the No Good People podcast. I thank you for joining me and my guest, Ann Carmack. Um, Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you hear something you like, be sure to share it. Until next time, I'm Vera Smith-Winfrey. And remember, it's always good to know good people. Thank you so much, Ann. Thank you so much, Vera. This was a real honor. Awesome. For more podcasts from No Good People, visit Spotify, Audible, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks for listening.